Hello, I'm Victoria Shepherd, and this is the Happy Henry's Woof You podcast, where we get to find out a little bit about the people around us who work with, play with, or know something about dogs. From the benign to the bizarre, I want to talk to anyone about anything dog-related and share stories or useful information that will not just inform, but also entertain and possibly inspire you. My guest today is someone I'm very excited to chat with because, like me, she has got a varied background and I want to find out more about her. We've never met or spoken before, but I've been following her journey on social media and I love what she's doing within the consent-based grooming world. Stephanie Zickman is a multi-award winning holistic dog groomer and best-selling author. Having founded the Holistic Grooming Academy in 2020, Stephanie spends most of her time tutoring professional groomers under her recognised accreditation in holistic grooming and behaviour. With over 100 active students and 400 members, Stephanie is passionate about raising the bar of industry standards and is proud to be affiliated with various organisations including IPET, Dogs Trust, Welfare for Animals and the Groomers Spotlight. Stephanie is also passionate about helping dog parents implement holistic grooming methods at home and has helped over 500 dogs overcome their fear of grooming using her holistic approach. Hello Stephanie. Hello. That was, I mean you have done a lot um, in your relatively short life by the looks of it. I know it's been a whirlwind I have to be honest with you Victoria but God knows how I did it but I've done it and I'm proud so. (laughs) That is brilliant so you're you're based in Scotland whereabouts in Scotland are you? So I'm 20 minutes away from Glasgow that's probably the easiest way to describe where I'm I'm from Um, but it's a small kind of county called um, East Ayrshire. Okay. Yeah. And you were born in... It feels like it's like Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? (laughs) From the Shire. From the Shire. Yeah. Do you live in a hole? A hobbit hole? I do. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of greenery. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about your journey before, prior to going into grooming. Have you always done it or what were you doing before? Oh no, it's very random. So before obviously starting the the dog grooming business, I was a disc jockey. Um, so I had an entertainment firm. Yeah, and I ran that for I know I know I ran that for about seven years. So it's quite a successful business. Um, so I kind of focus more so on um like karaoke hosting quiz nights so emceeing events and things like that as well um and I loved it absolutely loved it until I had children and then I had to grow up so (laughs) (laughs) how many children do you have three now uh yeah yeah three under nine under nine under nine so I've got a one-year-old I've got a five-year-old and an eight-year-old so I'm busy Okay, so when did you start this whole journey of uh, working on changing the world of dog grooming? So uh, to be fair, I still had my my entertainment business right up until I had my second son. So that would have been 2017, 2018. That's when I began to kind of dip my toes in. 
learn more about the different kind of animal related industries because I've always been passionate about animals. I absolutely loved them as a child. Um, I was raised with dogs. Um, so there was always that kind of niggling feeling that I would work with animals one day. I just didn't know how. Um, and then in 2018, I decided I had dogs at the time, um, two of which were double coated breeds that required a lot of grooming. Um, and one in particular, Nala, who's still with us today, thankfully, um, had some kind of troubling behavioural issues that basically prevented her from going to the kind of conventional setup of grooming. And that was what inspired me then to kind of go into that sector and learn more about behaviour at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah, you say that you went into it because of your your dog that struggled. And yeah. that's exactly why I started Happy Henry's. I mean, I yeah. I didn't actually, it didn't start out as grooming. I didn't want to be a groomer. Mm -hmm. It started out as self-service because Henry and I used to live in California and he struggled with being around people, other dogs, mm -hmm. and they have a lot of self-service stations. Um, so I found somewhere that I was able to take him and work with him. Yeah. And then when I came back to England in 2020 and wanted to get him washed, people were like, and I said, where's the nearest self-service dog wash? They were like, we don't know what you're talking about. So yeah. I wasn't, I was working in, um video and audio production prior oh, wow. yeah so the little similarity that uh -huh, i was yeah. and and i couldn't get work in that industry because it was covid all the other creatives in the world were sort of out of work um yeah. and i just returned to the uk so why why would anyone want to if I, you put me alongside someone who had the same experience but we're mm -hmm. in the UK, you'd go with them. So mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, this might be a little light bulb or a, yeah. a breadcrumb moment. Let's see, do a bit of research. So it was opened as Staffordshire's first self-service dog wash originally, and I built the business around Henry. So um, oh. yeah, and, and, and then it, <laughs> as it developed, I realized, like yourself, that there are so many other dogs out there that yeah. have the same struggles and there are a lot of owners who are lost as to where to go. So mm -hmm. that was the thing that got me into the grooming side of it. Um, but so you, your little pup with the struggles, what's his name, her name? So her name is Nala. Um, so she's technically, we were sold her as a Tibetan Mastiff. So this was at the time where you know, I'll admit, I've, I knew very little about dogs at that point. I just knew that I loved them. Um, so we, we went to collect Nala. And it, as it turns out, she's actually a Chinese Mastiff. So she's, they're kind of well known to be badly bred, unfortunately. So they all tend to kind of display behavioural issues. They tend to have terrible coats. So it was probably the kind of the worst dog to have if you're an inexperienced dog owner. Um, but again, you know, like I say, my responsibility was to look after her. So I just, I did what I could to learn as much as I could about her. And that's what we did. And we've never looked back and she's fantastic now, thankfully. So. <laughs> and what did you, what did you do for learning wise? Did you go and did you study? Because you do behaviour as well. So where did it, where, she's obviously your powerful why as to 
why you wanted yeah, to get this knowledge. Yeah, excuse my teacher, yeah. So initially, I first of all, I wanted to start off with grooming um, and learn how to groom my dogs because, to be fair, her coat was really difficult to manage, so I needed to have that done relatively quickly. So that was my first priority. But on the side of that, I was already invested in attending um a frequent behavioural consultations for or by an experienced and qualified behaviourist. So I was already kind of picking up tips and tricks from the individuals that I'd yes. hired to help me with her specific issues. Um, but that just inspired me then to obviously learn more as a practitioner. Um, and that's when I found the ISCP, um, which is the International School of Canine Psychology, which was all online based. So that was a lot better for me, obviously working because like I say, at that time, I was still running my entertainment firm. So it was 2018 um, and I was doing the, the training for grooming on the side as well. So I was attending an actual training centre and doing that. So having it all online based suited me because obviously with one child and one baby, um, I needed something that was going to fit around my schedule. So that's what we did. Just squeeze something else in. <laughs> Pretty much. That's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> How long did it take you to... So the first one that I did was the, it was Compassionate Handling or Safe Handling Diploma with Tony Shelburne, fantastic advocate for, for dog care. She's um, written loads of books um, in, in terms of, you know, wolves and dogs and things like that. So she took me through the Safe Handling Diploma, got that with distinction, which I was very proud of. Um, and that was really good because it helped kind of complement what I was learning in the grooming environment. And uh, so that was a year. And then I took the the level five diploma in canine behavior, which took me two years. Great. So, yeah. yeah. Um, if we can get um, if what we'll, I'd like to do is include all these links in the show notes for of all course. of these courses. Yeah. So anything we speak uh-huh. about, if anyone's listening, don't worry about taking notes because we will put together <laughs> we'll a, a little yeah. cheat sheet for you and, and then yeah. you can access it if you're interested in anything that we're talking about. Um, so are you still doing anything in the entertainment world? Um, not really. Uh, I've thought about kind of going back into it again because I do miss like see sometimes I do miss like the likes of children's parties I loved doing children's parties um so I have still got some of my equipment in the loft um <laughs> I might I mean because I was a singer as well and you know you when you come away from things like that you do miss it um, so I have looked at maybe doing pub pub nights and doing a wee bit of singing um possibly but at the moment no I don't have time for it, I, I was gonna say um yeah so listen I've been seeing a lot I don't know if it's me maybe it's me but you can tell me what you think there seems to be lately um, when I first started looking into consent-based grooming and what it is and everything there was it was it it, it was a very underground movement and I think to a certain degree it, it still is and there was only a couple of websites um that I came across yours and then yeah. Sue Williamson's taking the girl out of dog yeah. grooming. Um, and I've noticed lately that there seems to be a lot, the conversation seems to be seeping into other grooming pages. People are showing curiosity. Um, I've seen it mentioned. And then someone has said, what is holistic grooming? What is consent-based yeah. grooming? Which I love that 
there's a there's someone's asking the question so from your point of view for someone who doesn't know what holistic grooming is or consent-based grooming or there are a variety of names what would you say if someone asks you the question it's such a difficult question to answer and I've I've been asked this question so many times over the years and I can never find the right way to describe it to do it justice but if we're looking at it from holistic grooming's perspective it's looking at the bigger picture and not just looking at our job as our job is to groom and sell a, a dog to a certain standard and that's it it ends there it's about taking a wee step back and looking at the entire context of the environment what does that dog need based on his likes his dislikes his health his genetics his lifestyle and it's just trying to to come up with a bespoke care plan that caters to his individual needs as an emotional and sentient being. I like the addition of the sentient being. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's. I think that's exactly it because I have noticed when I have dogs come to me, and yeah. most of the people come to me by referral now. Um, mm-hmm. um, that I. Any dog who comes to me, even the ones who the owners feel they are confident and no mm-hmm. problems, I do, when I do the, I require a meet and greet for the first yes. session. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I see things and it's a good, for me, it's a good way for, because owners a lot of the time do not know when we ask them the question, how does your dog handle being groomed? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time it's, oh, they're fine. They're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen them being groomed? And they say, well, no, but I'm told. So I love doing the meet and greets. Um, one, so that the dogs can get some exposure without being overwhelmed and they yeah. can get used to the novel environment because no matter how if they're confident at home doesn't mean to say they're going to be confident when they mm-hmm. walk into a new space yeah. um so i have found that i'd say 99 percent of the time even if the dog is presents as outgoing confident yeah. cool and collected there is usually another struggle it may be a small one outside of the grooming the Mm -hmm. whether they oh they love chasing cars you know Mm -hmm. it's that's the only thing that they've got a problem with so Uh i have found that by combining the games with the grooming and the environment that you say along with the owner education um it's and I, I think you do similar activities, but we are basically mm-hmm. what we teach them, I feel, is um our skills that they can utilize out in the real world, not just the grooming parlor. What do you think? Yeah, no, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and it's it's to do with the the kind of, like I say, it's the bigger picture. It's um you know, it's worthwhile for dog parents to come in and actually see the process for themselves because it's like you say, there are other struggles happening in that dog's life and the the things that we're teaching them within the grooming environment are going to also help them cope with different stressors and triggers out with the grooming environment as well. And it is to do with that synchronised care. Talk about synchronised care quite a lot, actually, and it's to do with, you know, everyone has to be on the same wavelength 
um, and everyone has to know, you know, how to approach things cooperatively, give the dog plenty of consent and choice and how that's significant with the environment being safe. Um, and it's not just a case of controlling the dog to comply. It's about how do we how do we have that dog consider his environment safe and how does he feel safe in that environment? How do we do that for the dog? Yeah. And and that would be building a relationship on trust, right? Absolutely. Rather yeah. than yeah. going to a groomer for the first time and getting on with the groom. And they've never met they've yeah. never met this person before. Um I have a lot of people who come to me who say, I want to get my dog's nails done. And I say, that, <laughs> great. That, no, how do they deal with it? Oh, they hate it. Yeah. Um, or they come to me and say, I hear you good. I've got my nails as you. And the first time they come and I say, look, just to manage expectations here, I probably won't even touch your dog the first time I meet them. And... I definitely won't be trimming their nails the first time I meet them. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's, and I actually had a, someone the other day who's come to me for four sessions who has said, you know, I was very skeptical about coming here, but I'm starting to understand now why you are going back to basics of touching them in places that they're okay being touched in to yeah. build them up to the point that they are allowing you, they may not enjoy it, but they trust you to know that you're not gonna hurt them. Um, yeah. And I, I. So, do you? What kind of? Do you, are you? Do you? Are you just educating now, or do you still have grooming clients? No, I, I still have clients. Like, don't get me wrong. Ever since I had um, Nicholas, so he's one now. Um, I have cut down on how many clients I take and I've got a closed book now so I don't have any new clients unless it's an absolute emergency and in, in which case then I will probably try and help but um, we we still work so I still work in my garden pod which is just outside the back door but a lot of my existing clients actually have me come to them um, and it's just removing that additional Stress. trigger of being in a yeah of being in a more conventional or you know, higher stress environment. It's far better to have them in their own home where they're more comfortable than have them in an environment that's, you know, a wee bit more unfamiliar. It's requiring travel. It's like you said as well, like there can be other fears that contribute to the stress within the grooming environment, which don't necessarily happen in the grooming environment. For example, you know, a bang from a, a car outside that maybe startles them when they're traveling to the groomers can just offset them big time. And you think... I think that's a huge one for me, you saying that, because I have a client who comes a long way to come to me and we've seen a lot of improvement, but mm -hmm. we're now looking to switch it up where I am working with... I found um, a holistic groomer who actually went to your academy. Um, oh, yeah, so Lorna. Um, uh -huh. oh, I she, love Lorna, I guess. Yes, yeah. so she has Barks and Bubbles, and okay. she had referred the dog to me because um, it was it, it required a little more behavior um, work. Yeah. And, but now after... Um, months of working with her I still am not seeing the improvement I want or I I feel yeah. that we should be getting 
because the dog barks from beginning to end of the car journey and it's a long car journey. Right, so yeah. last week we tried, okay, I'm going to come to your salon mm-hmm. and and we did and it was already, even though it was the first time and she had to go into a new environment, it, she handled it so well um, uh-huh. and there was a huge difference. So that's uh-huh. something. So it's nice having finding those people um there are there are a few people out there that i've come across that work like that but uh, lorna um one of your graduates is is a great person to work with so i i like it yeah and it's again it's that synchronized care isn't it and having that network around you where you can refer on and that taps into self-care as well being able to say you know that maybe our approach or our circumstances or our environment is not necessarily suitable for every dog, but do we have the the network around us where we can refer them on to a better alternative and maybe work with them in that way? Um, so again, it's it's just uh, it's looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? There's there's a lot of dogs out there. There's more than enough dogs to go oh, around. Uh, so yeah. if if yeah. we can refer them to other people. Um, that mm-hmm. are better suited to them, then yeah. I think that it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, because you're going to get those referrals back as well, yes. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for someone who, you mentioned triggers a short while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about what could be triggers so that so that perhaps owners who aren't aware of this could start um, just observing their dogs differently. So what do we talk what do we mean when we talk about triggers? It's any any environment any environmental trigger that causes your dog a certain degree of stress. So something that happens in your dog's life at any given moment that causes a negative response. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's it's, yeah. It seems like it's um how I talk to clients about the bucket that every single thing when they Uh step foot through a different doorway or they step on a different floor or and it it could be good or bad but it it pays into that bucket and a water drops in and with trigger stacking is the water is basically filling up filling up filling up. And if we get to threshold or the top of the yeah. bucket, the slightest it thing can push them over the edge, yeah. right? And yeah. It, it, yeah. it could be something that is so minor that they're normally used to, yeah. but then it just sends them over the edge and and they, they change behaviors. They don't make a... I, I say they don't make a they're not they're not conniving, um, you know no. they don't set out to it. But um, maybe would you be able to talk to us about the the sympathetic nerve system and what happens when those dogs meet threshold? What uh, happens to them psychologically? Psychologically and physiologically, because it's all connected. So when when your dog's overly exposed to too many environmental stressors then you have the you have the activation of the sympathetic nervous system which then is when you start to see your fight and flight responses and from a physiological sense they they start to display kind of 
different behaviours that we can identify quite early on as well. So they can begin um, pacing, panting, their heart rate increases. Um, they begin to shut down in terms of learning things. Um, they're less likely to follow basic cues. Um, they're just in their survival state. So they're basically just trying to cope with this overwhelming feeling of overarousal. Um, behaviorally as well, they're, like I say, they're just unable to process. So anything that we expect them to do, we can expect them not to do because they're simply just trying to survive. They're they're basically in survival. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the sympathetic nervous system isn't that sympathetic then, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's unrealistic to expect them to be in a fully parasympathetic state as well, especially when we look at grooming because there's always going to be a degree of stress in our environment. We're an invasive sector. We have to handle the dog in different places. There's tasks involved. Yeah. Um, it's more to do with managing the amount of stress that dog's under at any given time to keep it under threshold, to keep him relatively calm um, so that he is being able to have that the, the best possible chance of coping in that environment. Um, if we push them too far, then there's just it's a it's a lost cause. Yeah, and I think Sue um, uses also the the analogy of candles. That, that yeah. every time something happens, yeah. a candle is lit. So at some point, there is going to be a huge inferno if we don't <laughs> yeah. keep on working to yeah. keep those. So it's 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 so it's not the dog's choice to react is it it's they just cannot physically they cannot yeah. cope okay yeah they, they have that reflexive instinct to just survive that's that's predominantly their goal is to survive and that sometimes it comes down to perceived threats and that's really significant because we can as humans look at that and go but it's just grooming there's nothing to fear but as long as that dog perceives it to be a threat to his survival, it doesn't matter. So we have to try and believe that. Yeah. So when I talk to clients, I always say to them, okay, imagine if you were scared of spiders uh, oh, right? yeah. or uh -huh. anything, but you, it's, yeah. it's, it's perceived. It's the, this idea and straight away uh -huh. your body, will make, you may start breathing heavier or tensing mm. up. But mm -hmm. if you were walking through a large room, you yourself know there's a spider in there. So even if you're scared of them, you're like, it's okay because yeah, I can get through this space. Yeah. I've got the space and I'm okay yeah. and I can talk myself out of it. However, mm -hmm. if I put you who's scared of spiders in a room full of spiders, is that going to help you overcome your fear of spiders? No. Um, and it's it's it, it's that you literally would just shut down. So yeah, freeze or you'd fight your way back. That right. <laughs> so I guess it's um. So it, a lot of time, people when they take their dog to the groomers for the first time, yeah. they are they drop them off. The dog's never been for, and the they are told upon collection the dog did great. Right. They did great. Uh -huh. um, there were no issues. Now, I have had, I have a couple of clients who have rescued dogs and they mm -hmm. have, um, um, in particular, Romanian rescue dogs that were street dogs. And they've brought them to help them in England. And they, obviously, they want their dog to be 
clean and comfortable. I yeah. the dog probably doesn't care because it's lived down the street, but they do. So they want to do the best for the dog. So they go to a groomer's and it gets all done and it's great. The dog comes out. But then they go the second time and within five minutes, the groomer's calling to say, you need to pick your dog up because mm -hmm. it's just reacted and it's too big and we can't manage it. So then people come to me and they and that but that's exactly what we were just talking about. They shut down that first time. Yeah when they're put in the room full of spiders. Um, but then the next time, they are going to do everything they can yeah. to not go near that room full of spiders. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. So I think that um, this holistic, um, consent-based, it's a, it's a great... It, I've learned so much from it, and I get so much from it. Um, and I think you do too. You're very passionate about it. You've written how many books now? Well, two, two technically on holistic grooming, one on um, safe dog interaction for children. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you went and designed this course, um, uh -huh. yeah. this accredited course. How did you get it accredited? And that sounds like a difficult and expensive and long journey. So. <laughs> it's expensive it didn't take me that long actually but I think it's because I love to write and I'm quite passionate about the topic anyway so I just write how I speak and I let that do the work for me but in terms of um, how I approached it I first of all I decided to go down CPD UK because I felt first of all something just quite basic gives you a certificate gives you your CPD points because I'm very passionate about CPD particularly probably more than qualifications, because I feel like with a qualification, people have a false sense of security with it. It's they obtain their qualification and they think that's them qualified forever. Whereas with CPD, you have to continually invest. So you're constantly getting that updated curriculum. You're constantly updating what you know. So I went down the CPD route, first of all, um, and I did inquire about qualification status initially, but I just the terms and conditions with it didn't really suit my ethos. Didn't like the fact that any training centre could take my qualification and teach it because how do you then safeguard the, the ethics of your framework? Um, it's just not there for you. So did that for the first year, then decided to broaden it out, um, went and got accredited through the Complementary Medical Association, which is all about holistic therapies and things like that. So that's more um, American based and then from there I took it to UK Rural Skills so I've added that onto it and then after that I went into IPET and we got it um, approved through their PDR scheme. That's um, amazing. Yeah we have it provisionally accepted for SQA accreditation as well through a customised awards scheme which is basically a qualification under the Scottish, Scottish Qualifications Authority but again, it's extremely pricey, which means you would have to really bump up the price of the, the, the actual qualification. And I don't want it to be too expensive. It's expensive enough getting your training for grooming, um, never mind having an initial kind of high valued course again. So, 
Uh, yeah, I think you're right in the CPD side of things that you're then just constantly learning and everything changes, right? So the qualification right. that you got five years ago, if you studied it now, it would be completely Definitely. different. Definitely. Or at least so if you keep if you keep on going. Um, yeah. So I am currently working my way. Um, I'm going to try and finish it today. Um, Sue Williamson's taking the girl out to dog grooming. Yes. Her, her approved groomer certification. Uh-huh. Is is it possible for me to work or would you recommend working along doing your qualification at the same time? Are they going to complement each other? I am unfamiliar with the content that Sue has within her framework. However, if I know Sue quite well anyway. And if it's anything like how I know her ethos is, and I would say that it's very much synchronised to what I'm doing anyways. Um, I, I don't know if there's maybe more to mine. I think there is. Um, I think hers is for a kind of more affordable kind of price bracket as well, just to kind of, you know, cater to those that are maybe just wanting to dip their toes in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd have to look at the framework. But I do think that her ethos is definitely synchronised with mine, so there wouldn't be anything of conflict there, um, certainly. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'm looking what to yeah. do next, so uh-huh. I'm thinking. Well, I've had I've had a few of um, Sue's past students come on to mine, um, and it, mine is a lot more advanced, I would say. It's, it's a lot more structured for, it's more academic, um, so there's a, mo- a lot more kind of in the assessment process. So it's a good next step? It would probably be, yeah. I mean, I think that Suze is a very good kind of stepping stone into this kind of industry and a sector. Um, And then, yeah, we'd probably then advance it then on to to mine. Now, you mentioned, um, do do you have to be a qualified groomer to do your course? Right. So what we have is we do have prerequisites, but this is only because there are basically zero practical training when it comes to using tools in terms of how do you style a dog how do you clip a dog's quit I think that those kind of basic skills need to be done face to face that being said um, I still take groomers on that haven't got their official qualification but they can show that they've done the training because I feel like that's enough Um, what we're doing is we're enhancing the curriculum. So the gaps in the curriculum today for the level three, for example, we're filling the gaps to that. Um, So we're adding to it. We're enhancing what you learn through the level three. So you you could take your training and decide not to do the qualification at the end and you could still do our course and it's just going to make you a more competent and confident groomer. Um, But that being said, we don't, we also do encourage that groomers Think about professionally trained. Yes. yes, because I mean, at the end of the day, if it does become regulated, which I think it will eventually, um, we're all going to have to become qualified. I mean, I, I didn't qualify until last year, <laughs> so you know, it's just it, it's not a mandatory thing. But we are very much of the opinion that you know you have to have you know your training, you have to be able to have had some experience getting taught. Ideally, one-to-one as well, because I feel like a lot of the kind of training courses out there, they're they're too diluted and you're not really getting that quality training anyway in the practical. I think there's a lot kind of missing in that yes. um, that needs to be, you know, um, pinpointed down and actually amended. Um, but yeah. So 
We are going to run out of time, and I know knew this was going to happen because there's so much I want to talk about. <laughs> but we need to do part two. <laughs> we might have to do part two. So the only other question that I wanted for you, so we can wrap it up before we run out of time, um, is if someone wants to, and we'll definitely have you back, that would be awesome. If we get enough feedback on this, I I would love to do another one, part two, if people want it. Um, Where can people reach you? Um, We'll put this in the show notes, but Instagram, Facebook, where's the best place to get the information? Either Facebook or Instagram, if they look up the Holistic Grooming Academy, then they'll get me there. And I'm very much active in both um, platforms. So, yeah, I'd be more than happy to to con- contact or connect, sorry, with anybody. And is your book available um, only on your website or is it available on other resellers? It's Amazon and also Dogwise as well. So if you're in America, then you can get it through the, the booksellers in Dogwise as well. So that's good. Perfect. Stephanie, <laughs> if you were a dog, what breed would huh? you be? And why? Oh my gosh. Don't. <gasps> um I don't know. I don't know. Probably probably a Dachshund, actually. I'm quite feisty. But I'm dead <laughs> lovable as well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Well, um, thank you. And many thanks to you, the listeners, for joining me for this episode of the Woof You podcast. Woof You is hosted and produced by me, Victoria Shepherd. You can find the Woof You podcast on Happy Henry's website, happy-henrys.co.uk, as well as through Apple Podcasts and Google Play, where you can stream and download episodes as many times as you like. Please do subscribe, review and rate and share until your fingers and paws fall off. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics or people I can meet from anywhere, reach me through the website or on our Facebook or Instagram pages at Happy Henry's Dogwash. I'll be back in a few weeks with something completely different. Thank you so much. Thank you.